This is The Light Inside. I'm Jeffrey Biesecker. Our ego. There is no function of our human existence that receives a worse rap than this essential and necessary characteristic. Throughout our lives, we harbor deep insecurities and fears enclosed within our ego. A healthy ego can play an important role in developing a healthy self-concept because it allows an individual to have a balanced sense of self-esteem and self-worth. An ego in this context refers to an individual's sense of self, including thoughts, emotions, and our behaviors. When we have a healthy ego, we're able to accurately assess our strengths and weaknesses without becoming overly defensive or self-critical. We take responsibility for our actions and decisions without feeling ashamed or guilt, allowing us to have a greater sense of confidence in our abilities, which leads us to a greater sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. When an individual has a healthy sense of self, they are less likely to engage in unhealthy behaviors such as jealousy, possessiveness, or controlling behaviors. They are also more likely to attract positive and healthy relationships as they are able to form connections with others based on both mutual respect and trust. Overall, a healthy ego can contribute to a healthy sense of self-concept by helping us develop a balanced sense of self-esteem, confidence, and healthy interactions with others. Today we discover how a healthy ego is not only an essential asset developing a healthy self-concept, it's also beneficial in our overall growth and personal evolution. Sure, our egos can have their downsides, and much like our emotions, they can also get the better of us. Yet they also lead us to become our best selves. Our guest, Julia Wesley, is a teacher, medium, and soul blueprint healer. In this episode, she shares how learning to love our egos allows us to become more accepting of ourselves, while also finding peace and happiness within. Tune in to find out how when we return to The Light Inside. When it comes to mobile service providers, with their high rate plans, extra fees, and hidden cost or expenses, many of the big name networks leave a bad taste in your mouth. Mint Mobile is a new flavor of mobile network service, sharing all the same reliable features of the big name brands, yet at a fraction of the cost. I recently made the change to Mint Mobile and I can't believe the monthly savings allowing me to put more money in my pocket for the things which truly light me up inside. Making the switch to Mint Mobile is easy. Hosted on the T-Mobile 5G network, Mint gives you premium wireless service on the nation's largest 5G network. With bulk savings on flexible plan options, Mint offers three, six, and 12-month plans, and the more months you buy, the more you save. Plus, you can also keep your current phone or upgrade to a new one, keep your current number or change to a new one as well, and all of your contacts, apps, and photos will seamlessly and effortlessly follow you to your new low-cost Mint provider. Did I mention the best part? You keep more money in your pocket. And with Mint's referral plan, you can rescue more friends from big wireless bills while earning up to $90 for each referral. Visit our Mint Mobile affiliate link at thelightinside.us forward slash sponsors for additional mobile savings or activate your plan in minutes with the Mint Mobile app. The 
The concept of ego strength has a long history in psychology dating back to Freud's three-tiered model of personality in which the id, the ego, and the superego are each intertwined. Due to numerous contributions since then, this and other Freudian concepts have significantly been overhauled by many of his followers such as Adler, Jung, and Fromm, commonly known as the Neo-Freudians. A key element was added in place of Freud's deterministic and pessimistic view of human nature. Therefore, a more empowering understanding of human behavior and personality has taken flight as primarily social in scope and self-determined by intrinsic motivation. By developing self-awareness and understanding our unique strengths and weaknesses, we can learn to love our ego and create a life filled with joy and purpose. The question arises. Why is a healthy ego essential to your personal and relational well-being? A healthy ego can play an important role in developing a healthy self-concept because it allows an individual to have a balanced sense of self-esteem and self-worth. An ego, in this concept, refers to an individual's sense of self, including thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. When an individual has a healthy ego, they are able to accurately assess their strengths and weaknesses without becoming overly defensive or self-critical. They can take responsibility for their actions and decisions without feeling ashamed or guilty. Julia, share with us how a healthy ego allows an individual to have a sense of confidence in their abilities, leading us to a greater sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. I think, and where I usually start on this topic, is that I see the ego as a function of perspective. So your unique perspective is your ego. And what is truth or what is untruth is going to be somewhat subjective to your interpretation. Yes. So what we have to do is we have to delineate, or at least this is what I do and what I recommend people do, between what is a healthy ego and what is a traumatized ego. And a traumatized ego is typically that part of you that catastrophizes, that gets anxious, that um, worries in social situations, that is afraid that um, it that will be cut things. out from the herd. Yeah, As success yeah. or failure sometimes. You know? Absolutely. Sometimes that notion of failure in viewing things as a failure can become an ego response. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that ego response is, of course, just trying to keep you safe. Right. Because it, yes. it wants like evolutionarily, it, it wants you to belong. So anytime you feel as if you're a failure, anytime you feel as if you're weird, anytime you feel as if you don't fit, you're going to get a little anxious and traumatized. Uh, it's not always a hundred percent your fault. A lot of these things we latch onto as kids and you know, there, there's just certain things that you can take responsibility for. And there are certain things that you're like, I'm going to cut myself some slack on this. When you're a kid, cut yourself some slack on this, right? We learn that being excluded hurts. We learn that sometimes being ourself is not accepted and that hurts. And that's the schism where we think not, where we think being ourself is uh, not going to give us success or love or happiness or acceptance in life. And then so that's when we start building this identity on this traumatized ego. And this is where this idea of the truth being somewhat subjective um, comes into play because you're lying about yourself. You're not being truthful to who you know you are. And 
So anything that is filtered through that false overlay, as I call it, is going to be a little bit distorted. Your perception of yourself is going to be a little bit distorted. So then the way that you view the world, what you think you want, what you think makes you happy, what you think makes other people happy is going to be a little off as well. Now, so often we're filtering, as you mentioned, through that subjectivity, subjectivity mm-hmm. being rooted in its, its simple explanation in our emotional response, reaction, or perception of things so often mm-hmm. versus that ob- objectivity of this simply is what it is. Right. That's an oversimplification, right. but so often that's the easiest way to define Am I just responding and reacting based on my past experience, based on this present experience, how I think and feel about it? Or am I truly being objective to be vulnerable, to allow things to simply be what they are? That's that's a tough state so often for us, for any of us to open up to. Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of emotional subjectivity, trying to figure out Because it's hard to place truth on emotions, right? It's not one of those things that we can quantify. So it's it's all you, right? That's also not to say that we are to govern and try to manipulate and cajole where our emotional state is. You know, mantra of the show could be think it, feel it, process it, release it. You know, we so Mm. often speak to that very simple process. Yes. That allows us simply to say, this is what I'm feeling. This is where I am present. This is what I'm aware of. How then do I make sense and meaning of what I'm experiencing? Allow that to be simply let go and then create what ultimately becomes a more productive, fulfilling, joyful reaction to me. Yeah, exactly. And that really leads into what I was trying to get at is that your emotional response whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable is going to lead you to the truth of you. So when I am talking about a a truth, most often I'm talking about the truth of you, right? And when you're experiencing something that you don't want to, it doesn't feel good to you, or most often when I work with people on what I call their blueprint, which is like the original plan, their ego really in a healthy expression I'm trying to get to the truth of who they are. And so we have to get down to the bottom of, well, what's getting in the way of you being who you are? And oftentimes it's this belief of who we think we need to be, what we think we want, all of these expectations we have placed on ourselves that we've adopted from other people. And a lot of the times those expectations, they feel like garbage, when you hold them inside of you, they feel really bad. And if you're still operating off the traumatized ego perspective, where you don't feel as if you're good enough, that unpleasant emotion is just going to be fuel to ignore the feeling. So you're going to double down most often on that thing that doesn't feel true for you. And so I think the emotional response. You could all you could I guess you could call it an emotional truth because we're talking about what feels right and true to you is really a good guidepost back to yourself. No matter how you respond to it really because if you respond to that emotional truth in a way where you want to walk everything back, if you take a second and you pay attention like you were talking about before, no matter how hard that is, right? I'm not saying it's easy. 
it gives you the opportunity to say, put a, I'm going to put like a mental pin in that and I'm going to recognize or pay attention to when I do that again. And that's going to point me out to perhaps another truth that I have been overlooking or I have been ignoring or I've been pushing aside. You know, so often that very act of expectation mm-hmm. can become an ego trait. You know, the ego is looking forward in a manner that's starting to judge our perception, starting to judge our interaction, starting sometimes to reel us back, looking at comparison to the past. That can become a very egoic trait mm-hmm. if we allow that power to step into our lives. So often we have to realize when those voices are filtering through that ego filter and say, how am I simply aware of this present moment and how I create value and meaning from it? Yeah, the present moment, right? And I think that's the whole expectation, the moving forward, going ahead, what's further down the line for me. That I think is oftentimes, like you were saying, ego. And in particular, what I would have I refer to as the traumatized ego because we expect happiness to be ahead of us rather than happiness is something that we can have right now. And when you're not living in truth with who you are, you can't have happiness right now. It's always something that is has to be achievable later because you have to modify yourself in order to get it. Mm-hmm. You have to change who you are in order to, to just see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's always going to be just out of reach because you never really can change who you are at your truth, right? Because that's what makes you happy. And when you're constantly trying to push it away, when you're constantly trying to fit other people's expectations or even your own expectations of what you think you should want, happiness will always be something that's in front of you instead of something that's inside of you. We're looking at that destination Mm -hmm. rather than just being present and being grateful, being fulfilled, experiencing things with love. All of those things that ultimately signal that simple act of fulfillment, that simple state of fulfillment more than anything, you know, is it a willful act or do we just simply embrace it? That's a question for each of us to look at, examine, become aware of, and personally find value and meaning. Yeah. It's oftentimes when I'm working with someone on this subject of, how do I find fulfillment and meaning in who I am? It does come back to the present moment. And oftentimes people think that they don't have anything in the present moment. I don't like who I am. I don't like my situation. I don't feel as if I have anything. I don't feel as if anyone truly loves me. And it comes down to, and this sounds corny, but it comes down to you not loving yourself Yes. because you don't like yourself because you don't like this version that you've created of yourself. And um, if you don't have someone to point out that you actually do like yourself, you just don't like who you think you are, sometimes you can run the risk of thinking that who you are isn't likable. And that's not true, right? If you were to remove all other variables and you were to just say, I'm free to live as who I am, you would be having so much fun. Happiness would be in your present moment. And it's important to remember that who you think you are and why you're not happy usually are the same. There, There's a causal relationship there. 
It's the, it's the same reason. So it's always we whatever. often see what exactly what we hope to see when we look in the mirror mm-hmm. of ourselves. We yeah. often see that very reflection back that that expectation is projecting. We often see where that belief is. If we change that belief, we gravitate toward that which we truly believe. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to see that belief, right? Because we've accepted it as uh, the situation normal, right? Like that's just how that is. And you would recognize it if you could step outside of it a little bit. And that's sometimes what's so hard about trying to change those beliefs, right? Because you know you don't like something, but it's something that's just so obvious, like uh, like, like we breathe every day, right? And yeah. of course there's oxygen in the air, but we don't point it out to ourselves. You know, it's just one of those things that's so natural and normal and okay, we've accepted this as true. That's often what's happening when you're uncomfortable with yourself, you're unhappy with yourself, you've accepted something as completely okay, fine. And you're just, you're looking at that reflection and you're like, why don't I like you? And that it is that belief. <laughs> and that's a great question. If we find ourselves in that space, mm-hmm. why do I not like myself? And what do I allow to let go? What do I release? And how then do I uncover that core thing that I truly love? Yeah, uncovering that, that core thing that you truly love. Sometimes getting to that is more of a question of what is, if I'm looking in the reflection, I don't like who I see. And I think to myself, what is that thing that I'm terrified to let go of? And it's either because there's, you believe that about yourself and you're ignoring that belief. It's almost never true. You know, it's, it's almost always something like I have this belief that this is who I am and I can't be happy if it's true. So I think that's who I am, but I'm going to pretend as if I'm not. We, it gets so convoluted. Yes. It really can. We yeah. can twist ourselves yeah. into knots in our mind. It's We like to think that it's cut and dry, right? I believe <laughs> that I'm a nurse, but um, I'm going to pretend that that doesn't make... No, oftentimes it's, uh, I believe that I'm horrible at loving people. And so I have to uh, be a paramedic so that I can try and train myself to like that. And it's the idea that you have to train yourself to like that that is so corrosive to you, you know, because maybe you're really great at loving other people, but maybe you have felt somewhere along the line Mm -hmm. that the way you love people wouldn't be accepted. Maybe someone brushed it aside when you were a kid, or maybe you've tried to reach out to people and they weren't in a place to accept it. And so you thought the problem was you, right? And that's the whole traumatized, blame yourself, internalize this trauma sort of a reaction. But if you can get to that point where you can say, that's the thing that I'm terrified to acknowledge and to change, a lot of the times we think we have to change it, but a lot of, more often, it's just that we need to change our perception of what that is because that thing you're afraid of, it's not that it's true, it's just that your interpretation of it's probably wrong. 
Um, and that comes brings us back to this idea of what is truth, right? And usually, usually, I don't want to say we don't know, but a lot of us are operating um, as if we know what the truth is. And if you're unhappy, I'm going to wager that you probably don't. So often when we view the ego, we often label it the shadow self. It often gets mm. that stigmatism, you know, to, to that regard, it becomes that scary thing in the mm. closet or under the bed. That in and of itself can start that perception, that belief that it's this thing that's challenging us. It's this thing we struggle with. It's all of these things that weigh us down rather than freeing us and liberating us, bringing truth and awareness to us. How do we effectively bring awareness to the aspects of the ego that might need explored, might benefit from healing and aligning? So this is, there are a couple things to this. So the first is typically when we're talking about the ego, all of those things that we're sort of shoving down, that sort of like the boogie monster or that, you know, that thing under our bed or under the rug, it's typically we're talking about trauma. So all of our trauma and all of these unpleasant things that we don't want to experience that don't feel good in our body, that sort of create this, what a lot of people would call like a neurotic response from Mm -hmm. themselves. They stuff that in what we call the ego, that thing that we don't like, that no one else likes, that gets shamed quite often. And That, in my experience, is often a real source of disassociation from who you are. Mm -hmm. It's not so much how do we dig that out, because we can never really truly push it aside. It's always stored within us. It's more or less how can I look at it in compassion and try to actually understand what that wound is. Because that's how we get back to this idea of a healthy ego, right? Where, and this is where my philosophy comes in is the healthy ego is really just it. When I think of consciousness, I'll explain it this way. The way it's always been explained to me um, and through my guides is that your ego is just one way of God viewing itself. And so when I think of consciousness and when I think of all the infinite millions, billions of beings that are out there from the smallest fly to the most complex consciousness or creature that you can think of. It's God viewing itself through a kaleidoscope. And all of these different egos are just different refractions of the same truth. It's a different interpretation. It's a different way of just seeing the same thing. It's a different way of experiencing the ultimate truth. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And when we think about the ego, we think that there's something inherently wrong with it. And that's, of course, a a human perspective. And I I know I'm perhaps um, anthropomorphizing when I say that animals have an ego. But if you've ever had a dog, you know that they have their own personality. (laughs) And that's an ego. Your personality is a little point of individuation. And that's all really your ego is, is just individuation. What makes you you? What makes you a little bit different than someone else? And that's fun. That's the universe playing, right? And we have all of this shame and this blame of, well, I'm different. So I hate myself just a little bit. 
and then it continues to build and it continues to build and your unique perspective uh, starts to get a little bit cloudy and a little bit staticky and a little bit twisted, even if you can really hate yourself. And so that's when that's the ego that we think of. That's when we start to become maybe a know-it-all, um, maybe arrogant, uh, maybe depressed, maybe anxious. And that's all the stuff that we sort of try and put in a lockbox in our minds. And we call that thing the ego. We don't touch that. So what we're going to do, especially in um, spiritually minded communities, is we're going to get rid of our ego. We're going to say that that's horrible and that's awful. And we're going to come into this sort of universal consciousness perspective where we lose ourselves in the all. And I'm not saying that that's an invalid perspective, but I don't think it's helpful to uh, condemn pain or trauma or really what we're doing at the core of it is condemning your unique experience and you're condemning who you are. I don't find that helpful. And I actually find that within ourselves with that unique experience to uh, deny the ego to be traumatic. Um, I know that I've tried it. You know, when you first get into a spiritual practice, the whole thing is to, oh, you have to get rid of your ego. You're not unique. You're not special. You know, you're no more special than anyone else. But, and I think it's a worthwhile experience to be able to touch sort of a universal consciousness and to lose yourself a little bit because it expands your mind. But I also find it even more useful to bring that back to a human perspective and to say, well, what can my experience be with this knowledge that I'm not the center of the universe, right? That I'm just a part of it. What can my experience be like? How can I expand my perspective? And um, that I think is the point of the ego, to really honor who you are and to honor the universe's hopes and dreams for you. Such a yin and yang effect of energy flow there, of that chi of life, that balance. So often we have to bring awareness where that very egoic act of judgment Mm. of ourselves, of others, the things around us is creating that block, is creating that limited flow of all of that potential. Yeah. And it really comes down to, and I'm speaking from experience, so I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for everyone else. But it is very common for you to be judging yourself. And other people can judge you, and that does hurt, and they do. They do that. But it's when you start to believe them, when you accept that as true, and you start judging yourself, is when that little, is when separation starts to occur. And it's not separation from the all, but it's separation from yourself. You start to condemn yourself. You start to judge yourself. And I mean, I can think of this as early as back in like first grade when I started being like, oh, well, I guess I'm not okay. I guess that's something I need to change about myself. And there was nothing wrong with it. I don't even know what it was. Maybe someone didn't want to play with me or something. And it's, it's something as small as that, paying attention to the small judgments. It doesn't have to be some sort of big blow up or fight that you got into someone where they just ripped you a new one. It's really in the small little things that's it's more corrosive than anything. It's sort of like acid being dripped on the love that you have for yourself little bit by little bit. And it 
it, it's that little space and it seems odd, but then you even start to judge your trauma, right? How can I, how can I love myself if I am someone who's so depressed all the time? How can I love myself if I'm someone who's so anxious all the time? And I guess you're right. That's hard. I've been there. And for me, it was coming back to remembering a time when I didn't hate myself. And I'm like, well, what was so different about that time? Who's so different about the person I am now, the person I was before I couldn't stand myself? And it's not that I didn't care about other people's opinions because I still do. I can't help it. I'm human. But I I cared more about my opinion of myself. And that sounds sort of like um, pep talk nonsense. But when we're talking about moving away from judgment, that's really what it is. In my experience, it's been not judging your trauma and not judging your response to trauma and not blaming yourself for forgetting who you are and not blaming yourself for no longer loving who you are. Because when we get deep down into it, if you want to talk about layers of beliefs and and mindset, what we really do is we blame ourselves for not loving who we are down at the bottom of it. And that is really what is traumatic is when you stop loving yourself because it's, it feels, and I don't mean to be really religious about this, but it feels as if God no longer loves you either. How can they, whoever you think God is or not universe, whatever, how can they love you? If you can't love yourself, you're not worthy of that love. And that in itself is a trauma. That's another thing that we put into the ego lockbox. And we say, well, let's forget about that. And let's just try and move forward, trying to be who we're supposed to be. You know, and so often that lockbox is storing that act of validation. Mm. I don't mean to be woo-woo. I don't mean to be overly positive about this. I don't mean to be religious. So often we're stepping into that role of the validator. I have to justify to something rather than just embracing that self-love, that true inner being, and just allowing it to flow forth. We label that and then place the expectation on it. Mm -hmm. We judge it. We dissect it. We pick it apart. We load it with all of this garbage and junk and throw it in a lockbox, so to speak, Mm -hmm. rather than just allowing it to simply flow throughout our being. Yeah. And I think I think that's the thing, right, is the validating. We want us to be validated and we want to validate other people as well. It's a natural reaction. We want to make other people feel comfortable because we want other people to like us. That's just human nature. And when we we get into this sort of double bind where by validating other people, we invalidate us to sort of give them concession, especially if they have a different belief than we do. And it it has to get to this point where, again, and, and this comes back to my idea of ego, where everyone has their own unique perspective on purpose. So I can validate someone else's belief on the spiritual without invalidating my own, because I understand that that's part of the plan of the universe, right? And so by honoring 
who I am, I'm also better able to honor who someone else is because I'm not lying about it. (laughs) I'm not saying, oh, well, I'm just saying this because I want you to like me. It's like, well, I'm honoring your perspective because I think your perspective is unique, you know, and I, I think that that's really interesting. And, you know, it's, it's like, I, I eat vegan and there are a lot of people out there who cannot stand vegans. And I get it. There are a lot of preachy vegans out there. They're looking for validation to come from the outside. They want the world to reflect their internal um, environment, right? And so they judge and condemn other people who don't also follow that path. And to me, I don't really see that as a truth because, you know, back when humans were not living in, you know, pre-made houses and we actually had to go out and forage and get food, meat was on the table. And there was actually a beautiful way of honoring that, you know, that being you just killed to sustain yourself. That way doesn't really exist anymore. It's all factory farming and I don't want to get into that. It's different, right? And when you judge someone for the way that they're living, when you condemn them, right? Even if you're lying, even if you say to their face, oh no, that's fine. I I honor your perspective or whatever, but you know, internally, you know that you're lying. It's not helping anything because that other person can feel that condemnation and that judgment and you can feel it within yourself, right? And so it's coming to this point of, well, maybe at the core of it, right? There's some truth to that. Maybe we're all just doing the best that we can in the environment that we live in and judging ourselves and other people is not going to be the best way to change anything is not going to be the best way to live in harmony. If that's your values, or maybe it's not the best way to um, live in integrity, if that's a value for you. And it's that whole, you know, condemnation thing that takes us away from that ultimate goal. And everyone's values, I think, as unique to them as they are, bring us back to this ultimate goal of oneness. And if we each honor who we are in our individuality, in our egos, then we can get back to that idea of wholeness and oneness because it's like a, I see sort of this idea of the ego and consciousness as a, like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Mm. It's the same picture but everybody's a different piece and some pieces look very similar and some pieces look very different, but it's all necessary. Everyone needs to be themselves in order to create this picture. Not everyone can be the same because you'll never make the right picture. It'll just be one little piece of the truth repeated over and over again. Nobody learns anything. Nothing fits right. So that's how I, that's how I see the value in things being indifferent and not condemning someone or yourself for having that difference. Embracing that and allowing that to simply form and become your truth. We talked throughout some of our earlier discussions about what you saw as some of the signposts or signals and guides that allow us to begin this journey. What are some of those signposts which begin to signal and guide us through this work? 
Ooh. I can't remember what I told you, but I'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna start again. <laughs> um, oftentimes, I put you on the hot seat on that. One. <laughs> it has been what? It's been four months. Five months since we initiated <laughs> conversations. So. Yeah. So I I hope this is the same. But oftentimes, people are unsatisfied. They're unhappy in their life. And they're looking for some sort of deeper meaning or they're looking for some sort of purpose as to who they are and what they're doing. And when they come to me, they're often looking for direction. They're looking for, well, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And I can never really tell you what you're supposed to be doing because you are your own person. And I can tell you that you would really be great at, um, uh, I don't know, being a second grade teacher. And if you're like, I hate kids, we're not doing that. I'm gonna have to be like, okay, well, it's your show. You get to call the shots. But oftentimes what I do show to people are qualities of who they are. And it's these qualities that either we're not recognizing in ourselves or we're not honoring or we're not giving any sort of validation or we're not saying, oh, that's worthwhile and that's useful and the world needs that. And when we don't recognize that maybe you're great with children or maybe you love explaining things to people, maybe you like you really love helping people find that eureka moment. You get so excited when you see a flash of understanding on someone's face. And it's those little things, right, that fuel your purpose. But, you know, when we're unsatisfied and, and unhappy, it's often because we don't recognize that within ourselves. But more often, I'm going to double down on this, it's that we don't see the value in it. So we don't see the value in who we are. And so we're deeply unsatisfied in our life. And we sort of feel discontented. It just sort of feels like we're sleepwalking through our life. Was that on the list? I hope that was on the yeah. list. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great point because so often we are operating on that subconscious pattern. Our mind forms our entire reality based on patterns to the best of all scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say we're passing a judgment on those patterns. We simply become aware of what patterns we're engaging. And then how do we make those patterns become more effective, more effective and create significant meaning? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times when we're talking about patterns, it's the fun ones that we don't place any value in, even though that's the one you need to be paying attention to. We see fun as childlike. And when you're an adult and things get serious and you're, you're ready to get to work, you're like, oh, well, if it's fun, then that's just that's just play. And it may be fun for you to be a second grade teacher. You know, maybe there are aspects of it that are really enjoyable to you, but maybe you don't see, uh, you know, playing with kids all day is something that's, you know, how is that going to change the world? Or how is that going to make my life meaningful? You know, because you are devaluing it, yeah. you know, and that's a pattern that you need to be aware of. Oftentimes um, in, a, in a session with me and you're like, oh, well, I never really thought of that. Or I guess, you know, that's you sort of uh, falling into the pattern of brushing aside who you are. And that's easy to do, right? Because who we are, uh, we're usually talking about our inner child. 
And we call it the inner child because when we were a kid, most of us had the opportunity to just freely express who we are. You know, maybe a lot of us were into bugs and maybe it's not cool to be into bugs anymore. So we don't talk about (laughs) bugs as much, but maybe you would have loved to be, you know, an entomologist or maybe you would have loved to go into the rainforest and be a conservationist or in anything like that. But you're like, that's unrealistic. That's not, you know, that's not cool. Maybe your, your fun pattern is being a parent. And maybe you're like, I would love to be a dad or I would love to be a mom or I'd love to be a stay at home dad, you know, like, and society has been like, oh, well, raising kids, like, come on, do something, do something more. You know, and so that's also something that we brush aside and we devalue ourselves. It's sort of like we're preemptively doing the work of society, you know, when maybe society changes all the time. So, you know, perspectives change and paying attention to what patterns you're repeating, what patterns are not your own and what patterns are actually fun for you. What patterns would you repeat just because you enjoy doing it? That's what you need to pay attention to, because when we're trying to talk about changing patterns, again, it does come down to paying attention to them. But why change? Because we can talk all day about changing, but doing the actual change is a completely different thing, right? There needs to be some sort of motivation. Why are we changing? Why would I continue to change? Why am I following this new pattern instead of this old pattern, which is so familiar and I know how to do it in my sleep? And there has to be some sort of internal, internal combustion, internal um, motivation. And if it's not fun, maybe it's because you, you need to feel needed and that's fine. Or you need to feel um, as if other people will respect you and love you. And that's fine. But of course, when we're talking about that one, we're also talking about loving and respecting yourself, having your own, you know, internal reasoning it's going to be different for everyone, but having it is the same for everyone. And that's how you change patterns, in my experience. You know, that can be as complex of a process as you personally choose to make it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lean on that and kick that can today. Because yeah. so often the pattern is we don't learn till we fail. We grow through challenge. We grow through adversity. We are programmed with those patterns ad nauseum and then wonder why the hell we see everything as such a challenge. Yeah. Yes. Nature in itself runs on patterns. Mm-hmm. None of those patterns are overly complex. The patterns in nature are beautifully complex in their simplexity. You look at the Fibonacci code, for example, you can look at and notice the basic structural patterns in all being. There's nothing overly complex. Once you zero in and go to the core view of things, our lives are nothing but a mirror of nature. And they only become as complex as the human mind chooses to make them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we can make anything complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You can make it simple in that very view. Is is it mm-hmm. a simple yes choice or is it a simple no? Yeah. And once you start there, it's it's an unraveling, you know. Do you want to continue to pile on? Do you want to continue to pile on? That's up for each of us to determine what creates significant value and meaning for us. 
Yeah. If it's more meaningful for you, you'll find it. If it's more meaningful to create all the problems, to see it as a failure, to see it as challenge and struggle, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. But there's also another way that so often gets swept under the rug. And that's simply to just change that view. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there was something that you said earlier about um, growing in adversity. And I like to challenge this assertion. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think that there is a better way to grow and to learn because I think adversity gives you a kick in the pants and it doesn't necessarily force you to grow, but it says, okay, now you actually have to do it, you know, because you had that capacity the whole time. And so I think it shortens the growth period, but I don't think it's the cause for growth, right? I think that we actually grow in joy and learn in fun and play a lot easier than we do in suffering. And this sort of turns a lot of convention on its head, but I don't think pain is a good teacher. I think pain is a really terrible teacher. I think pain <laughs> is, is trauma. I mean, when we're talking about the ego, we're talking about pain and trauma. And what have we learned from pain and trauma? Oftentimes we learn to ignore our pain. Oftentimes we learn to put it in that lockbox and then ignore yes. it and be someone different so that we don't have to experience the pain of being ourselves. And that's what pain usually teaches us because most of us, when we're in pain, we revert back to unconscious responses. That's that knee jerk, um, curl into yourself or run away or pick a fight, sort of, you know, fight, flight, freeze, that sort of yes. thing. And I don't really think that teaches you anything worthwhile. I think it just, <laughs> I really think it just sort of prolongs um, the lesson. Well, and even in the pain, it all becomes what one might make of it. Yes. Yeah. What absolutely. one might make of it. You yeah. Know, that eliminates, you know, what you make of it. You know, that starts to become our own egoic projection. Mm -hmm. What one might make of it. You know, we're trying to become as neutral as humanly possible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're right. It, it is what one makes of it. And when you're someone who's practiced a lot of equanimity or maybe you're really uh, practiced at steadying your own responses and taking that step back and moving into that space of neutrality and seeing things as an opportunity, then we can sort of maybe take a, a bird's eye view of pain and see, okay, well, where's the opportunity within it? But a lot of us have not done that. <laughs> and I think a lot of us revert back to the pain is bad. I must be small in order to not feel pain. Yeah. Anytime I grow, I feel pain. Anytime I get big, I feel pain. So let's be small again and let's not grow, really. And and actually, I, I learned this through dealing with my own uh, mental health issues, depression and anxiety. I'm like, I keep trying to learn through pain and I just keep getting back to the same spot. So what happens if I stop trying to make myself uncomfortable to grow? What if I make myself comfortable? What's in my comfort zone? Am I happy there? Can I grow through happiness? Is it enough to be happy? Can I be so happy that I look for more happiness? Can I grow that way? And can I learn that way? And when I work with a client, that's what I encourage. I say, okay, this may hurt. Let's try this instead. Let's not ignore our pain, 
but let's recognize that there's more than pain. And perhaps we're in pain right now because we're forcing something. Or, you know, oftentimes we think of it as, well, you're denying something, so that's why it hurts. That's the thing. But I think a lot of the times it's because we're forcing something. I'm forcing myself to stay where I am, even though I know it would be better for me to move. I'm forcing myself to stay in this job because of the benefits of the pay, even though I know that it's sucking the the life out of me. Or, you know, I'm forcing myself to be in this relationship because uh, it's one that is supposed to be good for me. It looks great on paper. This is how I grow. If I just put more effort into it, uh, if I just, you know, work with this person more, or I work on myself or it more, it will be better because we're supposed to grow through adversity. We're supposed to grow through pain, you know, no pain, no gain. And uh, I say, no, I don't like that. What happens if you let go of the thing that is hurting you? You create room for something that feels good. Um, and we're stuck in this idea that in order for something to be worthwhile or meaningful or to achieve something, it has to suck a little bit. There has to be some sort of adversity. And I'm going to, I'm going to call my dad out a little bit on this. Cause he says, <laughs> he says this a lot. He says it's called work. It's supposed to suck. And I'm like, that's a common belief that people generational have. pattern. And where does it come yes. from? Parents not to judge our parents, not to belittle our parents, not to yes. make our parents small. But no. that is a pattern that can often become ineffective, non-productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Its, it's basis. And I believe that these patterns work for us in the moment. Who says it has to suck? Exactly. Right. Maybe that was something. <laughs> I'm not buying that. You know, that That's... self-love is stepping in and I'm kicking that down the curb. Yeah, exactly. If exactly. If sucks, change it. Yeah, you it was find value in it when it does suck. Change. Yes, it. yes, yeah, and, and that's what either through our, the our process children. or either in its complete being. Change yeah. the process. Change your reaction. Sometimes change yeah. your perspective. Often is the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Where it, it is isn't. You go telling you you need to get out of your own damn way. Yeah, and. Uh, our children, the children that are coming in and the children that we have and that we raise, they often challenge those patterns yeah. because they weren't born into them. And they they can see you and see these things and they're like, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> why have you accepted this as truth? Can I challenge this a little bit for you? And so his children, me and, and my brother, we, we ask him, why do you say that? It doesn't have to suck. Yeah. But he used that that was a useful pattern to him in order to get him through a stressful, uncertain time. Yeah. You know, he's a, a nose to the grindstone sort of a thing, but that's a, you know, that's a, that's a pattern to pay attention to. But he thought that if I just suffer through this, if I just put my head down and keep going on the other side of it, it will be better. And it, I'm not saying it so didn't work. So many him, have spent but, an entire life waiting for that, what if it might get better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why waste an entire lifetime in this life to get to that resolve? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think oftentimes the things that we think will make us happy will not bring us safety and security. 
Um, what is safety and security? What can we truly mm -hmm. control? Can we truly control? That in and of itself can become an egoic notion. It can yeah. become rooted in that idea. Am I safe? Am I truly in harm's way? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say that you're someone who just lights up when you dance. You want to be a professional dancer. Everyone tells you this is crazy. Everyone tells you that there's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you can make money doing that. And so you're like, I guess I'll go to school for finance, you know, because apparently that can't keep me safe. That can't keep me in money. That can't keep me sheltered. That can't feed me. And so you go, all right. And so then you develop the mindset that work is supposed to suck. In order to survive in this world, things have to suck a little bit. And that's a dangerous pattern because then yeah. you'll adapt that mindset for other things in your life. Yes. Well, you know, it's family. It's supposed to suck, you know, <laughs> or, or <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's that's, uh, I don't know, the grocery that. store. It's supposed to suck. Yeah. Automatic mode starts to kick in, you know, you mm -hmm. just start to habitually react and respond in that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Rather than seeing it for the pattern that it is and saying, what sense, what value, what meaning can I make of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not always easy to find that value in it because That's sometimes. Why is it not always easy? Or is because, that a Oh, that's interesting. So let's say <laughs> that you're going through something. It's that so you... easy to fall in that. I'm only pointing that out because often I find myself falling into those patterns. Mm -hmm. And when you do, sometimes you just stop and say, wait a minute, is it always not easy? Yes. Or is that just the belief we've sold ourselves to and tied our boat to? We're sailing up river, just floating wherever the boat drifts and takes us. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it definitely could be a pattern. But sometimes I think it's because it, it sucks and you hate it. And so you should do something different. <laughs> and and we can find meaning in things that suck. And yes. sometimes that meaning yes. is, I need to change. I need to do something different. I need to do something that gives me a little bit of freedom. I need to give myself the opportunity to fly. You just or need sink to listen to that light inside. Hey, that cool. inner voice. That you did it. That's always guiding us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Because you know what you need, you know what you want. And it's being courageous enough to oftentimes fly in the face of convention and forge your own path. And that may seem lonely, uh, but I would I wager that it's not but any lonelier than pretending to be someone you're not. not all just simply traveling this arc of existence through this being we call life. Yeah, we're all connected in some manner floating through that thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it only becomes lonely when we start to search for that meaning that says it's loneliness. Yeah, well, you took it. That's not there. to diminish that. There are times we simply find ourselves in that place. Mm -hmm. It's not to diminish anyone that is in that journey, in that experience. It can often happen. I've felt it. You may mm -hmm. have felt it. Others often feel it. It's not something we all do. Very few things in life are something we all do. Yeah. That's the ego itself saying, I want to generalize and compact everybody into the space, bring them into my control, bring them into my view. 
bring them into my suffering, bring them into my pain. Yeah. We don't all have to do a damn thing. Yeah. But we create that concept that we do. That's yes. the ego. It is. It is the ego. I think also we assume basic, what we assume to be basic things that are common amongst everyone. We say everyone feels pain a certain way or love a certain way or fear a certain way, but we don't really know someone's internal experience. That's something that we really can't uh, quantify or study. Where that experience began. Exactly. It might've started back before you were even conceived, traveling through that energy of our past, of our parents, of our generational connection, through our very experience in the womb. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of potential evidence to say we start to form those things and connect with those energies at that yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Epigenetics, which it, in um, my field would be more like ancestral wounding or, or yes. healing, if you if you go into that. That definitely in, informs your perspective on things because you're, you're carrying that forward. It's in your energy. You know, it's part of what helped make your physical form here. And so that's going to inform the way that you see the world to a certain degree. And everyone's is a little bit different, you know, and back to what you're saying before, where did it start? Where did someone's anger start? People feel, maybe you feel anger in your head. Maybe I feel it in my stomach. And we try and use these things to unify us. Everyone feels a certain way about this or everyone, you know, but you don't know that that's not necessarily true. And that's not to make you feel lonely, right? It's to help you understand that your experience is unique and everyone's experience is unique. Everyone feels lonely in the same way you do to contradict myself (laughs) because (laughs) everyone is a little bit different. You know, there are some puzzle pieces, people who just don't vibe and they just don't fit well together. And you can just say, okay, well, this is not the best fit. This is not where we connect. If we're all a jigsaw puzzle, my puzzle piece is not right next to yours. But there are, you know, other people who are maybe more similar to us and they have a more similar experience, but even they are going to have their own completely unique experience. I mean, you see this even within families. Here's an interesting idea that just popped in and was a flash of insight to me. Most puzzles, when all the pieces are completed, still have that basic pattern on the outside. Mm-hmm. Usually those patterns are uniform. In that regard, you could take one puzzle and connect it to another. And it reflects the simple nature of the universe. Yeah, that larger patterning. That larger pattern ultimately will always fit, will always meet its like. Mm-hmm. The universe doesn't like chaos. The universe doesn't like to have that much complexity or else it would do different. Hmm. I think that's really that's a perspective. Yeah. You know, that might be completely off base. That might be just a pipe dream. It might be whatever <laughs> we make of it, but yeah. it's a thought. It's potential. Yeah. Where does the ego block us so often from simply leaning into the potential of what might be? Oh, it's definitely the unknown. Right. Because if we can't prepare for it, if we can't see what the potential outcomes of it are, then we lean right back into old patterns. Everything that becomes known was once unknown. Mm -hmm. Everything in our being was once unknown, unaware, uninformed to us. 
Yes. Yeah. If we and, shift that perspective, then we're constantly just available to the ultimate potential. Yes. Of course, in order to get to that space of being available to the unknown, you sort of have to let go of what you do know, right? You have to make space for that um, that void-like feeling. Our brains where, do it for us. Yeah. What we're no longer of use of, our brain somehow finds space to clear. Yeah. It pushes it out, whether mm-hmm. we want to or not sometimes. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have to make room for that potential in our lives and allow that simple fact to be embrace it and love it with that self-love yes the potential and of course it's the potential that unknown space is what allows us to grow right and that's what allows us to find things that that make us happy and to the what was previously unknown to you or at least what you were not paying attention to you when you go into that little uncertainty space that's where the truth of you has the opportunity to expand into. So it's, I always think that it's important to get into the, I call it sort of like a void space yeah. where it's the potential for everything exists. So it feels like nothing right now because you haven't like picked anything. We're afraid of that. Nothing. We're afraid. Exactly. We're taught yeah. that, that nothing doesn't have value and meaning so often. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I really think is we're afraid of that nothing space because we're actually afraid, we're afraid of success. We're afraid to be who we are. We're even afraid to be a little bit happy because then it would mean that we have to live as the fullest expression of ourselves. And that intimidates us just a little bit. It's an interesting because what are we focused on? The fullness instead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of the process. We're afraid of the judgment. We're afraid of the expectation. Yeah. When we get down to the root of it, would you not? somewhat align and agree with that yes yeah and i if think you don't that's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's one yeah. view uh-huh well exactly right? might change in my own mind from day to day and i'm all right with that oh that's another great point giving yourself space to change your point of view i do it often i you know, yeah to me that is truly being available to that potential change mm-hmm. is inevitable, ultimately becomes a more freeing state of being. Yes. Yeah. Right. And if you want to, of course, if you want to pick a constant, it's change, which is another one of those contradictions of yeah. the universe no, and allowing con- yourself to contradiction change. Contradiction of the human mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's we don't like to lose space That it. humans like to create difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting way to grow by creating differences, right? And creating that duality. And I think that's a, a unique sort of human experience to do that. But um, it's the leaving space for the change and, and the duality that is what usually freaks people out. And that's such um, a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Just get out yeah. of the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to be blunt, you know, in, in uh-huh. a loving way. Just get out of the way. Yeah. How are you getting in your own way is often a very effective question, often a very effective answer because mm-hmm. the answer's in the question. How do you get out of your way? Get out of your way. That's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like from the moment people wake up, they get in their own way. They have this idea of, I so planned to be true. I planned today, <laughs> yesterday. And so it has to follow the plan. 
And if it veers from the plan, then it's a bad day. Then I didn't do it correctly. Then I didn't do it right. And oftentimes people mess up their day if they're working a job that they hate, if they don't give themselves the opportunity to listen to what they don't like, right? Because that's an opportunity and a guidepost for you to pay attention to what you would like to change, but are just not giving yourself the space and the opportunity to. And um, getting out of your own way and maybe saying, well, maybe I don't go into work today. Maybe I call in sick. That Even that can really scare people. Right. Because you're presenting yourself with perhaps the glimmer of an opportunity of being true to who you are. And if you don't keep your nose to the grindstone and you start paying more attention to your own possibilities, your own opportunities for expansion and growth, you start to get a little scared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's often how are we framing that whole experience when we go into work? Mm hmm. If nothing else from COVID, hopefully we've observed that there are other ways of being. Right. I don't go anywhere to create Mm -hmm. my livelihood. I do it right here. Once we get a taste of that, what recipe are we going to come up with next? Yeah. That's exciting. I like being here from my space, creating from my source of being. Mm -hmm. Rather than surrendering that notion that I can take authorship and ownership of. That's just an insight to say, now you're being put in that perspective. Here's the universe giving you your opportunity to see that window. Yes. Yeah. And will you take it? Will you look at it? Light shines on it. Exactly. Exactly. Some of us will take it and some of us will be really scared of that opportunity and try and rush back to that previous thing, no matter how uncomfortable or how unhappy it made us, because we're hoping for stability. But a lot of us will be excited. Normal, you know. Normal is a very equanimous state, equal mind. Mm. And of course, of course, well, what is normal? It's yeah. one of these things that we all collectively it's seem to agree upon. Yeah. Potential. That so nothingness, that, we all, so often we can fear it. We don't mm-hmm. know it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One thing and we I, often do, though, is try to diminish that state of anything down to We all, that's ego, trying Mm. to normalize, trying to reduce things down into a nothingness that's not serving us. Right. Yeah. That whole, well, we must all feel this way because (laughs) I feel this way. Right. And that is when we really get into trouble. (laughs) I mean, how many wars have been started for that reason? And we don't all feel the same way about things, you know, and And as long as it's not hurting anyone else, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about like serial killers really having a fun time killing people and we should honor that perspective. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I hate eggs and you hate asparagus, but we feel opposite, right? Like I love asparagus. How can you, you know, like I'm talking about things of interesting perspective of where we can learn and grow and say, oh, it's interesting that you feel that way because I feel this way. And that is um, that little space of unknown where you don't match up to someone like that's can either be exciting to people because they're like, well, what's that? You know, it, it sparks an interest. Or if you're someone who's really hoping for like homeostasis and normality, then it can really scare you because you're like, this is where I'm different. This is where I'm not safe. Right. Because we equate being different with being unsupported. And that's not always true. I love that you brought that idea of homeostasis in. Mm. That 
is such a state that can get contorted and twisted. That state of okay. Yeah. We battle with that so often. And that's a whole nother conversation that I've dipped back into. We're not going to go back into that, but so often we stigmatize that idea of, okay, Mm -hmm. things are in harmony, balance, things are flowing, things are moving. Again, it's the perspective of the okay that you create from, that you become the author from. If you're okay with something that's not serving you, that might be something you want to pull into your awareness. It's not for me to decide. It's not for me to judge. But often it's something we can pull into our being and create a new state. Yeah. And there's this idea of homeostasis always being good. And I feel as if I'm about to contradict everything I just said before. But like you said, sometimes homeostasis is built just on this idea of the life that we think we're supposed to create. Homeostasis is built on going to work every day going to the grocery store every Saturday, Mm. uh, visiting your mother every Thursday, or, you know, mowing the lawn every two weeks, and you find yourself stuck in this box, and you find yourself in a life that you're so sick of, and you're so bored of. And it's because you want to maintain homeostasis, you want to maintain normality, you want to maintain this idea that you're keeping up with the Joneses, everyone else does this. If you're an adult, you're supposed to visit your mother, even though Uh, I have to pretend like I can stand being in her presence or, you know, uh, all of these things that make you genuinely unhappy, but you do them in pursuit of homeostasis over this illusion that you're okay, right? If I can do this, then I'm okay. I'm just, this is just life. I'm just doing it. And sometimes it's this idea that we want to prolong this um, time space that we're in. And that's never going to happen, right? We're always changing. We're always moving forward. I mean, technically we're not moving anywhere, but you know what I mean? We're always uh, expanding, progressing as you live. Yes, exactly. It's one way to put it, evolution. Yeah. And so homeostasis is never really truly achievable. You can do it for a certain period of time, but that time will change. And then so... It feels as if your system is being thrown into chaos, but it's really just saying it's time for me to grow. I often equate it to uh, like a flower in a pot. So for a certain amount of time, that flower fits in that pot. And so it feels like homeostasis because everything is staying the same, except it's all of those outer qualities that seem as if they're staying the same, but your inner self is actually growing and expanding and learning new things. And so when it feels like you no longer fit in this, it feels sort of like a crisis point. It's this chaos, right? You've been growing this whole time. You just haven't been paying attention to it. And then so when you're ready to be repotted into a bigger pot, you're like, okay, all of this change is happening. I have to find a new pot. I have to find better soil. I have to, you know, yada, yada. And then when you get into this new pot, you're like, okay, homeostasis. I'll never change. I'll never grow ever again. But you continue to grow. And then so life can sort of feel as if it's the series of, um, you know, stillness and chaos, right? But it's just because you're constantly trying to, in your mind, capture this idea of homeostasis and things staying the same. And you're just not recognizing how you are always growing and changing. And so really, there's no such thing. (laughs) 
as anything ever staying the same. What a great perspective. Yeah, it's one that has helped me a lot. It's one of my patterns, right? Being in a, a space and feeling as if I nothing fits anymore or I'm bored. Typically, I get really bored and I recognize myself as in a rut and other people may be excited by this. Oh, thank God it's this homeostasis I've been looking for. And oftentimes I, I tell myself I want a routine. I want a pattern. I want things to stay the same. But knowing me, I'm kidding myself. Yeah. It's not actually what I want. I am always sort of striving for to learn more, to grow more, to experience more. And that's my own pattern, right? But that's a pattern that excites me. And so that's how I know it's it's right for me. But it is it is funny. It's not that I don't experience the chaos and the frustration, but I know that if I've been paying more attention to my own patterns and noticing when I had gotten bored, then I may have been able to have less chaos by going with that, recognizing that pattern, recognizing that phase. And um, it's just this process of, of knowing yourself. I don't think it really ever stops because we're always growing and changing. I want to thank you. This has truly been such an awesome conversation. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. I've I've enjoyed watching how your perspective unfolds on this and feeling that wonderful energy. Where can our listening community go to reach out to you, Julia, and connect with establishing that new pattern of growth? Mm. Yes. So you can find me at Divine Realignment. I have what I call a soul blueprint alignments where we figure out what your pattern is. I sort of see people as like a snowflake or as like a mandala and it's basically like the 2D grid version of the 3D you that I see and I recognize those patterns and I explain what I see and what I see is who you could grow into and your potential. So if you're interested in that, you can find me at divinerealignment.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook on the same names. What an awesome source of inspiration. Reach out to Julia, connect. You are truly such a continuous source of vital energy and inspiration for growth. Thank you. Thank you. I've loved this conversation. I had such a fun time having it. I I feel like we could have just kept going on and on. (laughs) Thank you for that because it's so amazing when you can truly connect with others and just find that source of inspiration. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the war of the ego, there is no winner, never a loser. Rather than turning our ego into a warrior, accept it for the storyteller, it truly is. Out of our vulnerabilities come our strengths. Embrace and accept yourself just for who you are. Julia and I have shared our thoughts and perspectives on how you can make your ego your friend. Now we'd like to hear how you found value in today's episode. Drop us a note by tagging us at The Light Inside Podcast, share us on social media, or leave us a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Joining us next week is author and radical enlightenment coach Kevin Russell as we explore how to move past labels and archetypes, reconnecting with the innate wholeness of our inner selves. Tune in to find out how on The Light inside.